Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jabral Thomas. I'm joined, typically, with my co-host Shane Stranahan, coming to you out of our station in Washington, D.C. Um, as I mentioned early on in the headlines, there's been this odd provocation that's been taking place between China and Taiwan. Basically, on Friday, China flew 38 military aircraft into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. And on the day after that, they sent 30 warplanes towards Taiwan. As you know, the United States has basically been bolstering Taiwan's military capabilities, despite the fact that China considers Taiwan part of China in this one China policy. This is creating a certain degree of friction that the U.S. State Department, Ned Price, has started to, let's say, bellyache about, to put it mildly, and has started to throw up all sorts of consternation. To have a conversation about this, we're joined with Carl Ja. Carl Ja is host of Silk and Steel podcast focused on China and surrounding regions and their history, culture, and politics. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for inviting me again. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you're an expert on this stuff, and we've always appreciated your insight into the issues pertaining to, um, to China in general. Um, I, I, one of my subscribers sent me this over the weekend because um, he was very concerned that this could lead to a larger provocation. And the interesting thing, um, Daniel Esberg made the point, uh, he's the one who released the Pentagon Papers. He noted that U.S. policy at the time was willing to basically go into a larger war over Taiwan. And Ellsberg's point in this was, you know, what is the military policy now and how far would the United States go with this notion of trying to defend Taiwan? So from your take on this, what is going on that China is flying these airplanes or the warplanes towards Taiwan? And does this have anything to do with the U.S., I'm going to say provocation, by basically giving these guys weapons um, despite the fact of the one China policy. Okay, first, I want to get one thing clear, because uh, in a lot of the news report, they cite uh, Chinese military planes invading Taiwan airspace. So it gives people the impression that somehow Chinese fighter planes is flying over the city of Taipei. You know, people are looking up and they see Chinese fighter planes everywhere. That is not true. China is not flying over fighter jets over the island of Taiwan. It's flying over what Taiwan calls its air, um, its ADIZ, which is the air defense identification zone. Now, the air defense identification zone is something that's unilaterally declared by a country to um, supposedly safeguard its security. Now, anybody, you can, none of these news reports about China supposedly invading Taiwan airspace shows you a map of the actual Taiwan ADIZ zone. So people can go to the Wikipedia, go to the entry for air defense identification zone. There's actually an entry for Taiwan. They have a map of the Taiwan ADIZ zone. And just will take a one look, you will see how ridiculous this zone is, is being drawn. And half of it is literally over the mainland China uh, provinces of <laughs> Fujian and Zhejiang. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about not just the Ta over Taiwan Strait. I'm, I'm, it's over the actually the space above the mainland China land. Right. So I, and the uh, and people are saying, oh, oh, wait, but wait a minute, you know, like, uh, so what are they talking about in the news report? Again, they, the news report, they never show, show you a map or a flight path 
of these PLA uh, fighter planes. But luckily for us, the Taiwan's Ministry of Defense, they have a verified Twitter account. And they tweet out every day the fly path of the PLA fighter planes into the so-called Taiwan ADI, ADIZ zone. And if, uh, you know, I can, I can even, uh, like, the, I can give you their Twitter handle so people can go see. It's um, the Taiwan Min- Ministry of National Defense, ROC. It's at M-O-N defense. That is the official to verify Twitter of Taiwan uh, Ministry of Defense. And every day they, they uh, plot out the map of the, of the PLA aircraft over supposedly intrusion to Taiwan's uh, ADIZ zone. And if you take a look at these maps, it's <laughs> mo- most of them shows that this flight path of the PLA military aircraft flies nowhere near the island of Taiwan. If anything, they fly closer to the coast of mainland China than, than the island of Taiwan itself. So so let's just get that out of the way. Chinese, China is not flying over fighter bomber jets all directly over the island of Taiwan, not even close. I'm glad that you explained that because you're right. Oftentimes, they don't necessarily get that across in regards to, okay, and what's funny, too, the U.S. typically engage in, you know, um, freedom of navigation exercises without any care or concern um, about the other countries that are involved. I, from your standpoint, though, I mean, you would agree that the number of flights have increased, though. I mean, whether it's over sure. Taiwan or close to it, what's the reason I mean, for uh, the escalation in the number of flights? Right. So, uh, you know. And let's just just give up people a little bit of historical uh, context, right? So, uh, up to 1960, I mean, in 1950s, Taiwan, Chiang Kai-shek's uh, KMT uh, government used to fly its uh, air force base in Taiwan to to do bombing runs in Shanghai. That's 1950. It's because for for longest time, the mainland China they didn't have uh, an air force that could answer. The the air force was built up in Taiwan with the help of U.S. military. Uh, that that tip of balance only changed in 1960s after you know after uh, Soviet Union tr- did a technology transfer to to transfer the the technology of MiG fighters to China, and since then, since 1960s, you know the, the balance had been shifting, and 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 China still maintain an air superiority. Uh, way into 1980s, and but with with the rise of China, that that military balance have t- completely shifted. Now, if you look at look at the actual uh, the flight path of the the PLA uh, military aircraft activity, it's a very careful. It, I mean, it's very carefully plotted. They made sure they went into the so-called Taiwan ADIZ zone, which is their way of telling. Uh, Taiwan, they think this ADIA zone is BS. But then again, they they intentionally plotted their flight path so a way it's kind of skirting around the edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still close to the, those military uh, aircraft runs still make them it's still make close to the Chinese mainland coast. So in in a way, it's not overly provocative. Let's say like flying over directly over Taipei. At the same time, it's challenging the the Taiwan's ADIA zone, which is totally ridiculous uh, in its scope. And at the same time, it's very careful not to uh, 
to to appear too aggressive. Yeah. But of course, that's not what the narrative is being told in the in the U.S. media. U.S. media is pushing this narrative that that large number of uh, of uh, Chinese aircraft regularly violate Taiwan airspace. Now, this is kind of a it's it's a it's a it, it is a um, like I say, it's 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 China's way of of saying we do not respect this Taiwan so-called ADI, ADIZ, which, which is drawn totally ridiculous. Uh, at the same time, it's, it, China is playing a very restrained game. Yeah. It's, it's only doing, it's only skirting around the edge of these zones. It's not penetrating deep into Taiwan airspace, you know, like, for example, do a, do a run across the Taiwan main, uh, Island, which would be uh, you know, considered much more much more provocative and probably cause panic on the island. Um, uh, that's not the information we're getting from the U.S. media, uh, first of all. But it is uh, China's way of sending a message to 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 show Taiwan's look. We have the capability of doing so. Um, you know, especially compared to the past, compared to 1950s when Taiwan regularly sends its aircraft to. To, to mainland and 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 do bombing run again this in in 2021 these PLA aircrafts are not doing any bombing runs right. they're just flying around the edge of the Taiwan ADIA zone to challenge it basically China's version of freedom of navigation <laughs> freedom of um flight um in exactly. this case I, this is Ned price Ned price gave a statement because you're right they're not necessarily disambiguating what is taking place? I mean, it comes across, if you just read the media or just hear it, it comes across as if, oh, these guys are just overflying Taiwan. This is so provocative, et cetera. The United States is very concerned about the People's Republic of China's provocative military activity near Taiwan, which is destabilizing, risk miscalculation, and undermines regional peace and stability. We urge Beijing to cease its military, diplomatic, and economic pressure and coercion, I love that one, against Taiwan. This was Ned Price, State Department spokesman. What's your comments to that? I mean, I, some of this stuff is pretty rich um, and radically hypocritical when you hear um, the United States says this. I mean, if you look at the way we treated Venezuela, if you look at the way we treated Iran, I mean, coercion and, and bellicosity is an understatement in this case. The key difference here I is mean, China doesn't consider Taiwan a separate entity, correct? Well... And neither does United States recognize Taiwan as a separate country because U.S. does not have an official embassy in Taipei, as most of the country in the world. There's there's only a handful of the country in the world, mostly countries in uh, in Africa and Latin America, because Taiwan give them generous loans and grants and then lots of money, basically, to pay them to recognize Taiwan diplomatically. But United States uh, or none of its major Western allies recognize Taiwan as an independent country, you know, because none of them maintain a, a official embassy in Taipei. Um, and again, this is if, so from China's and, and U.S. actually made a joint communique with China in 1970s when Nick, after Nixon visited China to recognize, you know, the the, uh, the uh, PRC's claim to be the sole legitimate government of China, which basically, you know, um, negates uh, Jiang Kai-shek's claim, a similar claim on tai, in Taiwan. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, U.S. was trying to maintain, for a long time, U.S. trying to maintain the so-called ambiguity, the strategic ambiguity, because at the same time that the, the U.S. upholds its one China policy, 
U.S. is also uh, Congress also passed the Taiwan Relationship Act, which supposedly pledge U.S. aid to Taiwan's defense. And that's that enables the U.S. military military industrial complex to keep on selling Taiwan very expensive military gadgets over the years. And and it's, the statement about provocation is rich, especially coming from the United States, because the PRC foreign policy of, of, of PRC foreign ministry can literally just change the words around and, and replace China with U.S. And, yeah. and Taiwan with South China Sea, you know, to talk about the U.S. freedom of navigation. You know, it's the same. It's 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 very provocative to send all this military hardware into proximity of China and, and to actually escalate a chance of miscalculation and, and possibly conflict. I mean, not to mention AUKUS, that deal that came forward, even um, the assistance on Japan, like putting all of those missiles and weapons on Japan. I, I, I'm curious, when did this start? It, did this, because as you noted before, this kind of strategic ambiguity, or for that matter, this kind of one China policy that the United States, for the longest time, apparently, at the very least, a, a, um, accepted even if it was selling Taiwan weaponry, it's still on some level, you know, it's like making contacts to Taiwan was kind of off the reservation. The reason I ask this is because when Trump got in office and Trump called Taiwan, it was seen as a massive jump of the shark. Um, but since then, the policy seemed to have gotten that much more, let's say, normalized. Is Trump or was Trump the first, I guess, demarcation point from the one China policy? Or was there something going on prior to Trump taking office? Is this kind of the Asian pivot? Well, uh, yeah. The, so the strategic uh, ambiguity was a longstanding tradition in U.S. since 1972, since the Nixon visit to China. What have changed under Trump is, you know, immediately after he took office, he took a made a call to the to the Taiwanese leader Tsai Ing-wen, and that is a big break in the protocol. Again. Uh, U.S. State Department at, at some point had to come out and say, you know, it's not it's not cha- making a, any dramatic change to the one China policy. But then again, Tr- Trump sent uh, its uh, health star um, uh, to to Taiwan to, to ostensibly talking about Taiwan's entry into WTO, um, uh, not the WTO. I'm sorry, WHO, right? And and this is also seen by by China as as uh, U.S. trying to find a creeping way of uh, granting Taiwan international recognition. Um, and as you mentioned, Biden, since you're assuming office, hasn't really stepped back from all the Trump rhetoric and, and Trump stance. I mean, the only only thing we have seen so far is the most recent release of, uh, of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou by, by, um, Canada. by Canada after after U.S. Justice uh, department decide to forego the case. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe we're we're seeing some um, some effort of trying to cool off the U.S.-China tension. I mean, hopefully that that's a that's an encouraging sign. But at the same time, you know, not great deal has moved since the Trump went fully hard hardline anti-China. And hopefully, I'm hoping, you know, but what Biden is trying to do is. Trying to use a use a Trump uh, Trump stance uh, as a negotiation chip to try to wrangle more concession from China before uh, you know fully normalize relationship again. I, I'm I'm hoping, but 
you know, you, we know that U.S. military industrial complex has a lot of inertia, and I don't really know if if Biden can really, you know, put that under his control. So at this point, we can all hope for the best and <laughs> prepare for the worst. And I, I think so. At this point, it's still a lot of war, uh, war of words. Right. You know, it's the U.S. accusation, even though they fully understand what is actually going on, uh, they, they are fully engaged in this war of rhetorics. And, and again, you know, still continue the posture of sending uh, aircraft carrier groups into South into China. South China Sea and surrounding regions to maintaining the pressure on China. Are you concerned? Um, I, mean, I think well, I was just going to ask, are you concerned with an escalation to this? I mean, and I guess that that answer, that question goes in two fronts. Are you concerned that the U.S. gets further involved? Meaning, you know, if they're um, like right now we're sending weapons and we're kind of doing this kind of war word stuff. Are you concerned with a further escalation either from the standpoint of China or from the standpoint of the U.S. getting further involved in Taiwan after, I guess, the flights? Right. I think it's um, I, I don't foresee uh, immediate escalation, but we we have uh, we haven't really backed down from this path of escalation. Um, I, I I don't think either side, China or U.S., are actively planning uh, or intentionally getting to an armed conflict. But the fear is that unplanned accident could happen when you have all these military hardware in close proximity to each other. You know, one missile misfiring could potentially touch off the World War Three. Right. And that is something that's very dangerous. And I, I don't see uh, at least nobody is talking publicly about what is a path of de-escalation. There's a lot of talking about path to escalation. You know, the, 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 in fact, um, 60 Minutes Australia just a couple of weeks ago came out with a special on war with China, <laughs> talking wow. about what. Australia should do in case of a war between U.S. and China over Taiwan specifically. And and in a way, I can't help but to think this is a way of preparing the Western public to psychologically for a possible, you know, scenario of war with China over Taiwan, you know, but I, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but it, it is worrying. Do you think the United States would get involved in order to defend Taiwan? I mean, I know Ellsberg kind of made mention that nuclear war or the very least this kind of nuclear deterrent um in protection of taiwan but this was back i believe in the 60s or, or something to that effect what about now um do you think that the u.s would really i don't want to say instigate but do you think they would come to taiwan's assistance if indeed there was a larger provocation where china or let's say some red line was crossed and maybe this is two questions what is a red line yeah. on taiwan for china that's the first that's point Great question. I mean, the whole point of uh, U.S. strategic ambiguity is not to answer that question <laughs> explicitly, right? And and so to to U.S. like to keep its option open, but at the same time, uh, you know, U.S. is flexing its muscles around around the, the Chinese coast to to show that it has capability of intervening. Uh, whether the U.S. has a will to intervene, I think that's a completely Another question, I mean, uh, you know, you, U.S., especially when most of the U.S. public can't t tell the difference between Taiwan and Thailand. Uh, <laughs> I know that's true because I live in U.S. for 30 years, and that's my experience. Um, and, 
you know, U.S. will well. Then again, uh, you, you know, U.S. government has been able to sell war, you know, over Libya and uh, mm -hmm. and Iraq and Afghanistan to its public with with no problem. But China is much, much, much larger uh, than Iraq or Afghanistan, and China has nuclear weapons. So the difference between 1960s is. China exploded its first nuclear device in 1964, and it hasn't looked back. So China, at this current stage, has the capability of striking mainland U.S., and it has enough nuclear uh, warheads to survive the first strike and to, to do a retaliation strike against U.S. So, again, the question is, what is... U.S. willing to sacrifice to, uh, to keep Taiwan from China, to keep Taiwan from mainland China control. And again, this, you know, I need to stress, nobody's talking about the path of de-escalation. There's a lot of talk about path of escalation. If China does this, if China wipe out a U.S. aircraft carrier group, maybe we should get to use lob or tactical nuclear weapons. But nobody's answered the question, what happens if we use tactical nuclear weapons in you know, either against a, a, a target around China or in China. What if China do a retaliate to retaliatory nuclear strike? Then what happens? Then then you know, like nobody is answering that question, and, and nobody is even talking about the plan of these escalation. So so right now they're playing a game of chicken, right? And it, it, they're playing game of nuclear chicken right now. That's what's happening. That's so disturbing. I mean, because you make a really good point. Is the United States willing to lose, I don't know, 10 million people in defense of Taiwan? Um, that's not really asked. That's not really asked at all. In fact, maybe that should be asked in this case. From China's point of view, what is the red line um, in regards to the U.S. working with Taiwan? I mean, because I would imagine there has to be at some point. Meaning there has to be something that takes place where China says, yeah, this is a no. And this is a hard no. And we will take action the moment that this line is crossed. What would that be in relation to either the U.S. Army Taiwan or the U.S. assistance to Taiwan? Well, from China's per point of view, China has been clear, very clear from the beginning. If China, if Taiwan, any government in on Taiwan officially declares independence, that would that would be the the red line crossed because you know as. China has lived with a status quo with Taiwan for over 70 years. Mm -hmm. And right now, uh, you know, time is on China's side because as every each year passed, China is growing stronger economically and militarily. So the balance is tipping in China's favor. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be cliche, but Sun, uh, the, in, the, in the art of war, Sun Tzu said the best way to win a war is without a battle. Right now, China is winning the war without a battle. It's, it's growing stronger and stronger. There is a fear. Uh, there is um, urgency on the U.S. side, though, because many national security establishment folks in U.S. recognize that fact. And they recognize they have a very limited time window in which U.S. can do anything to come from China, and they believe that that time window is in the is in next between five to 10, 10 years, and there is a fear that some people in the military industrial complex decided that U.S. need to act within that window to to you know to put a stop 
to China's rise and and use Taiwan as a, as a a trigger point, and and that then we are going to be in very very dangerous waters. But but for from China's perspective, the, the the red line has always been if Taiwan if the government on Taiwan declare independence, right? And that uh, you know again. Taiwan is not a, a fully sovereign country in the way that Taiwan, the, any government in Taiwan would never do something like declaring uh, independence without explicit support from the United States. So U.S. plays a very important role here. So if U.S. decide to tell Taiwan, hey, go ahead and declare independence, we'll back you up 100 percent. And then if the Taiwan's government went ahead and declared independence, that would be the red line. But they know what that would mean. I mean, like, that's that's pretty significant. I'm curious, from your standpoint, just from your own take on this, at what point does a country, is in country independent? Um, and I, I, I've always, I'm fascinated by this question. And it's not just with Taiwan. I mean, even going with um, Nagorno-Karabakh, for example, between, you know, when that conflict was taking place and, you know, these guys wanted to have a certain level of independence associated with it. Um, there seems to be all sorts of provocations around the world on countries who want to be separate and distinct from, let's say, a larger country. At what point should that take place? I mean, is Taiwan, it's, let me see, is Taiwan sufficiently different, be it culturally, be it, um, you know, tenor, that it could be its own independent country? Meaning, what's the, the – oh, go for it, please. The, the question really is, uh, you know, why is this an issue on Taiwan? And uh, the answer is domestic politics it, it, because Taiwan for many years have been ruled by KMT, which was a party that lost out in the Chinese Civil War and right. fled mainland and ran to Taiwan. And you ruled uh, in Taiwan as a military military dictatorship for many years and and the current uh ringing party the dpp came to power after they uh defeated kmt in 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 election for the for dpp they need to present china as a great other the you know the the ones that sent sent these kmt soldiers come over to you know rule over taiwan uh for for many decades and and but again even as as an election domestic issue, <laughs> even when DPP came to power in Taiwan, this is not the first time that DPP assumed uh, the, the office of presidency in Taiwan. They have done actually very little to actually move toward independence because, again, like you said, they they understand what that means. They the 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 rhetorics of declaring independence and and getting the Taiwan international recognition is very important for for Taiwan domestic election issues but they that's where it stops it, 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 because they they all all understand what what it means if Taiwan actually goes ahead and and, and declare independence that that would violate the the red line declared by PRC government so so what we have seen is that uh, they, they play this this word game. For example, uh, you know, both both DPP and KMT on Taiwan, the both parties claim that uh, Taiwan already have it's already de facto it's already independent. It's you know, Republic of China on Taiwan. It's uh, the current. They don't have to change anything because it's 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 uh, it's it's an independent country because they 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 are running. They have their own military. They they have their own. Uh, 
own um they're they're holding election they have own government structure etc etc so they don't have to go officially declare independence because roc already exists <laughs> so that's that's a way of justifying the, the status quo uh because you know and and again the, the, but again to the domestic politics in taiwan there's there's you know there's that divide between the kmt and their supporters especially a lot of the a lot of the mainlanders who came with the kmt after 1949 after the kmt lost civil war and the so-called uh, Benzhen or the, the the Taiwan uh, provincials who were already on the island before 1949. So 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 DPP plays that um, the identity politics and 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 that that is you know that is just politics. Yeah. Again, like the Taiwan as the, the Taiwan current status quo, it has been going on for seventy some odd years, and as long as Taiwan. Don't unilaterally declare independence, make an official statement. I um I don't see foresee any immediate uh, military action from PRC. I see. But if they do, then yeah, all bets are off. That would basically be the red line that they cross over, and China would take more aggressive action or provocative action in order to bring them into the fold. Very interesting, Carl. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this. Carl Jia is host of Silk and Steel podcast focused on China and surrounding regions and their history, culture, and politics. You can follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Jia. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Steel Silk In and subscribe to support his podcast on patreon.com slash silk and steel. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. We will be back in a moment. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left and only corner this morning, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. And that means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Stranahan. Alrighty, very interesting conversation with Carl. Carl knows his stuff um, on China. And when this was coming out over the weekend, um, the first question was, okay, how bad is this actually? and what is basically taking place. And Carl is able to give all sorts of background detail and kind of give the reality of the politics in the region. So shout out to Carl Jha. Thank you for the short notice visit.